What is going on, y'all? Welcome in to a brand new Hold That Podcast podcast, an extra special Hold That Podcast podcast brought to you by The Athletic, as today's show will be a uh, state of the union for LSU football, the state of LSU football holistic view at what's going on and what to expect, what are the main storylines, yada, 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 what do others think about LSU in the SEC, all this and more, and the vast majority of the heavy lifting is going to be brought to you by uh, my co-host, Brody Miller. Brody, what's up, dude? Not, not too much, man. Uh, you and I were texting at, at 540 this morning, so it's good to to finally talk. Uh, this was a, a long few nights, man. Uh, Bulldogs, man, just had bulldog have surgery this over the weekend mm, and bulldogs are broken creatures anyway very unnatural beings yeah actually she's in this room so if we hear some barking i hope she didn't hear this uh and yeah man basically had to have like her entire knee leg acl replaced everything and oh man Choo. i am just basically i i'm getting warm-ups for being a a, a father of a newborn i i think yeah I'm no absolutely just, dude uh, I'm averaging like three hours a night of sleep. It feels I feel like I'm maturing. I, I the I I'm a firm believer um, that a dog is just like a kid with training wheels a little bit. It's it's it's. I it's don't the, agree uh, that overall. Like I would never actually come. I mean, you would. No, I mean I would I've never lived through it. A dog. I've lived through a, it though. When I got a dog, surgery bulldog maybe. When I got a dog, it was like a level of responsibility that I did not have previously. I mean, I always had a cat, but they're just like another roommate. They're pretty chill. You barely have to do anything, right? And then I found a kid to be pretty similar, but just like the feelings and maybe the challenges just go a bit deeper. So it's like a great kind of uh, intro course to parenting, I think, at least. Yeah. I mean, at least with a kid, though, you have at least a little bit of like, you know, I'm playing a long game here. I'm going to get some some ROI eventually. Yeah. I'm gonna, you know, there's not really an ROI on a dog, you know, not, not literally, at least. But. I mean, Alice is uh, pretty huge. So, yeah, hopefully she gets a scally one day. Otherwise, I'm going to disown her. We've been uh, over this. Golf is the move, man. Golf scholarships uh, is is absolutely the move. I'm into beach volleyball, uh, but that's neither here nor there. We're both into LSU football. Uh, I'm T-Bob Bear. I host a radio show in Baton Rouge off the bench, which some of you may know about. If not, you should check it out. Uh, and we are here to talk, like I said. So on The Athletic right now, they have a um, Brody has written a, a a state of the union for LSU football. State of the program. State Get of the program. My wife's Excuse name me. right. My bad. You're right. State of the program. And uh, like I said in the intro, it's a holistic view at everything LSU football, where you stand entering the season. Um, like most local uh, people that cover a team, I think I tend to be a bit more bullish which is why I'm pretty fascinated for portions of this well, to get some outside opinions on kind of how maybe LSU is viewed around the conference. Uh, Brody, I will let you lead us off here in terms of um, where you think we should start in this state of the program pod. Yeah, well, I think it's almost perfect to start where the the piece starts, which is that, you know, they always start with kind of like a, a big picture, like mini story look at like really from a, you know, like a, a, you know bird's eye view what's really going on here and I think the story of this season is I mean something you and I love talking about is a program that went from all the a, a head coach really Ned Ogeron who went from all of the capital in the world coach of the year national champion all that to I think it's safe to say burning a lot of that burned a majority of that capital away burned a lot of that goodwill away from on the field things and off the field things and suddenly a year and a half removed from being an undefeated national title in the story of the college football world suddenly 
I'm not saying hot seat, but no one denies. And Ogeron doesn't deny. There is pressure on him to win this year. If things go badly, it, it could spell trouble for him. And I think what makes it all this, this season so interesting through that prism is the idea that there's not really a tangible excuse to not win. You know what I mean? Where it's like, if they don't win, that is a clear indictment, you know, mm. on not necessarily just at Ogeron, but failures somewhere along the line in this program because you have so much returning talent, so much experience. Regardless of who the starting quarterback is, you feel pretty confident you're going to have a pretty good one. I mean, there's so much top-tier talent, first-round talent, all that stuff. I know a lot of people think of this team as just a 5-5 five and five team, but, like, I think most people who know football know, like, they're bringing, like, 90% of their talent back. Like, they should be good, their experience. And it means that if you don't win – that means there were coaching failures. Maybe the were failures, which reflects poorly on him. There are cultural issues that you haven't fixed. Basically, if they don't win, they're actually in trouble. But if they do win, I think it's just going to lead to this really interesting time in LSU football. So I just think it makes it such an interesting season for that for that reason. Yeah, uh, it is. It's 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 pretty fascinating, kind of viewed through that lens of the the kind of capital being burned. I guess I never really considered. Um, the idea, but 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 you're right. I, I think the reason why I am so bullish on LSU right now, going into this season, is that there is no great excuse to fall short. Like like you should be the second best team in the FCC West. I'm not saying that you should uh, be better than Alabama because I don't think anybody can sit here and say that on a and say that on a year in or a year out basis that you're going to be better than Alabama. They've just proven that. But I mean, I don't know. I look around the rest of the SEC West. And, yeah, I think that LSU is going to be better uh, than these teams. Um, what? I, I, okay, now, if I was to play devil's advocate to myself, right, and I'm looking for potential pitfalls, right? Because, obviously, like like with a five-and-five year, it, it's pretty easy to point to. Um, first off, I completely tried to hand-wave away the mass exodus of talent that a lot of other people were way more honest about. And you could mm -hmm. kind of talk yourself into, well, if this goes right and this breaks the right way, then this will work out. Uh, none of that was the case. So you take that max exodus of talent, you combine it with one of the worst hires I've ever seen in my life defensively in Bo Pelini. And then maybe some, not bad hires, but just kind of blasé hires on the offensive side of the ball. Stagnant. Like yeah, stack. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. And then you some stagnant offensive hires. And that's how that five and five season is produced. I don't know. And again, like I said, how can you trust me? Because last season I, I hand waved all this away and I was very bullish then. But I just think I think I'm being objective. I don't know that I see those same pitfalls here. We'll get to some of the things that like maybe TJ Finley had to say about Jake Peets. I like the hires they have thus far, though they still have to prove it. So that could be a potential pitfall, right? What if for all the good talk of Peets and Durante Jones? Uh, what if they just struggle in their first year at, at, at coordinator? And and for whatever reason, it doesn't translate uh, the, the, the off the field, the building relationship with the players, the, everything good that the players and coaches have to say about them. Maybe that doesn't translate for whatever reason on game day. I think in terms of positions, um, offensive line is everybody returning, and that's very good. I still have questions about how this offensive line will perform against the elite defensive lines and, and and is that something that could potentially hold this team back but i don't know Brody. you're you're normally the objective kind of uh voice of reason many times on this show um am i crazy in saying that thing about the sec west that lsu should for sure be second 
I think that's the fun question, right? Because I think it's A&M or LSU would be the clear debate. I think A&M is ranked higher by most preseason things, and they should be, to be clear. LSU deserves to be ranked pretty far back to start the season. But I think A&M and LSU is the kind of the parallel debate going on, right? Because it's you have A&M that should have a just filthy defense. Their defense brings a ton back, got some legitimate studs, first-round kind of guys. And but at the same time, you have and you have a great running game, you know, well, I should say two great running backs, but you're replacing a large portion of the offensive line. You're going to have a new quarterback, whoever, and that ends up being. So it's like there's just I, I think A&M has to be taken seriously. They, they had an amazing year last year that I don't think they get enough credit for. You know, they probably deserve the benefit of the doubt, but it's going to be between those two. And, and going to be so interesting i love that it's the last game of the year and it's obviously huge for lsu that it's in tiger stadium because there's a very real chance it's like nine and two versus nine and two when that game goes on and it's really a battle for who is that number two spot in the sec west so i love that scenario uh so yeah i mean I, I, i'm with you that i think auburn you would just no no insult to anyone there but you know new coach knew all that i mean clearly lost some guys you would assume they're just kind of in a not a rebuild but a reset right now uh i love everything sam Pittman's doing in arkansas but yeah i don't expect them to be competing at that level same with mississippi state so yeah i'm with you that it's it's probably lsu or am in that spot and i don't think any of them are really pushing bama right now i just don't know who wins it but yeah i think it's just a really i think last i think you have to play a tricky game right with last year where it's I say this as a guy who doesn't want to just like erase it, but it's like there is a little bit of everything that ever could have gone wrong went wrong last fall. And maybe that's is just an indictment on this pro on the staff and Ogeron that like that's that's a bad look and that should be factored into this year too. And maybe it should, but at the same time, it's like you lose everybody. So your infrastructure is gone, your leadership structure, all that's gone. Then a pandemic hits. Then you have the George Floyd and some mishandled, you know, racial protests and whatnot that increase tensions. And maybe if it's not a year where you lost everybody and not in a year in it where a pandemic where you can't even really like talk to guys often, you know, like everything. Then you have the Miles Brennan injury. Then you have a year of opt outs. Like it was just every, a perfect storm of disaster. Yeah. And by the way, that is a lot of that self-inflicted and they deserve to be criticized for that. I make, I want to make that incredibly clear, but at the same time, if like one piece isn't there, that season's probably seven and three, not five and five. You know what I mean? So it's like, you do have to go into this year knowing, okay, things will get a little closer to normal and they're just better than they were last year. I mean, just in a, like a subjective point of view, you are returning. I mean, I have the stats in front of me, but just an enormous amount of your production, you are returning more importantly. You know, I, I think I wrote in there at some point today in today's piece that it's funny how the same exact things that are your downfalls one year can be your signs of optimism. The next where it's like in 2020, it's extreme inexperience. Well, an experience suddenly becomes experience, you know, and, and you know, that, 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 that brutal transition year means that the next year is suddenly a battle tested team. And, you know, maybe some arrogance from being a national title team in 2020, that suddenly after five and five means now you are a hungry group of guys trying to prove yourself with a chip yeah. on your shoulders. So those same failures can lead to positive. So you just, you feel the vibe different this year because it's a different context and you're more talented, more experienced, all those things. So, I don't know if they're going to go back to being a New Year's Six team, but there is just no excuse in the world to not be at least a nine and three. Team, if you, you know if, you, I mean? if you're nine and three, second in the West, that'll be New Year's Six, like guaranteed. Mo uh, yeah, it should be right, most years. Like, absolutely. Yeah, it, yeah, it would take yes, it would take almost a an anomaly of a year for it not to be. You raise a great point, Brody. So 2019, 
it was the perfect storm of good. Everything broke your way. 2020 was almost the literal inverse. Like you said, a lot of it self-created. Where I would give LSU some of the benefit of the doubt or where I become feeling a bit more positive about giving LSU the benefit of the doubt is throughout, of his, throughout his career, Coach O is almost at his best when things get really bad, right? Uh, whether it's taking over an interim spots, whether it's losing to Troy at the beginning of his LSU tenure, like finding a way to kind of right the ship and turn things around and being honest with yourself about what you did to try to cause it, right? Like you mentioned maybe some of the mishandled social issues last summer uh, and the kind of uh, divide that that reportedly created in the locker room and everything. Uh, well, they have made a concerted effort this offseason into committing to player relationships, right, and redeveloping that and not losing sight of that like they, they basically say that they did. And then when I see, like when I read your article on The Athletic about T.J. Finley and he's sitting there talking about just how much he – uh, loves Jake Peets, a guy he's only worked with for like a few months, and how they're still talking even though he's not there. Uh, that That's a very clear example of something you did wrong, admitting it, and then trying to fix it. Again, I don't know if that translates exactly to success on the field, but just looking at Ogeron's past, he is best when things are kind of stacked against him. So you're right. I, I, I really actually like him specifically uh, coming off of a five-and-five five year to get a lot more juice, especially given the talent and everything else, but a lot more juice than your average five and five college program would. No, I, I think you're right. And I think that leads to what, like, to just double down on how interesting that makes you, right? Because if it goes right, yeah, I think all of a sudden, like, Ogeron has a lot more stability back. He's got a lot more uh, momentum because so much of the talent of this year's team is going to be freshmen and sophomores, if we're being honest. And then all of a sudden you go into 2022 and you're going to have things you got to figure out. But 2022, if you have a good year this year, could be a great year. You know, all of a sudden, like, and you have these, your two coordinators, if things go well this year, are really young guys, and you're really feeling good about next year. Everything is kind of flowing in the right direction if you get back to 9-3, and 10-2, and two, et cetera. But it's yeah. like if it goes badly this year, now, and this is like a conversation we just flat out don't need to have right now, but I just, it's an interesting thought to me. And, and I do not want to like insinuate I'm predicting this, but if they do happen to take a step back, right? If they do go, I don't know, seven and five, eight and four, the way Ed Ogeron's entire career is viewed just by a two year sample, like these last two years, just change it again. Yeah. Because right now, where he's at in his career, or even where he was, I should say, a year ago, it was guy who failed rose up, learned from his mistakes, and then is like this great success story. But if you have another down year this year, I think the step back look on his career is suddenly guy whose negatives are way greater than his positives. And like in the, the Gene Chizik thing will be very real. And unfortunately, and I don't think that's entirely fair. I flat out don't, but that will become yeah. whether that, that becomes the history that's written, no matter whether anyone likes it or not. So I think that is so interesting that this is the ultimate test of, like you said, his greatest ability is how to listen and learn from his mistakes and adjust. That is, I will always give him credit for that. This is the ultimate test for that, right? It, this is the ultimate test for can he kind of keep momentum going? Can he rebound? So it's so it is just there's so many layers of intrigue to me. It is. Yeah, it's a pretty fascinating commentary on trying to escape your past and how impossible that can become. Uh, because you're right. It wasn't like, yes, they want a natty, but they also want a Fiesta Bowl the year before that. Right. right. And yeah. like, but the problem is Joe Burrow was the quarterback for both. And so he has proved that he can exist Outside of that, and again, even though everybody loves a comeback story, uh, they will quickly remind you of what you had to come back from if you fall again, right? 
And so when they had this five and five scene, like you're saying, all the old Miss tenure, all of that, all of a sudden comes back to the forefront. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty fascinating that you could have the Natty have festival and still have so much legacy on the line going into this year. But it's also uh, absolutely accurate. Um, so okay, so I, I feel like we've done a good job of kind of explaining okay uh, some of the more interesting parts of like how that capital was spent the the no excuses factor everything legacy wise that is on the line this year uh at this point should we get into kind of um the actual team and 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 where we think their main strengths and weaknesses are i think so Uh, yeah i mean and i think you and i will just go back and forth on this it's just i think you go position by position right now and before we even start getting into the micro i mean there is, I think they're in a good spot right now where I think there were some clear question mark positions, say, three months ago. There is no longer like a glaring question mark position right now. Quarterback, I mean, I know we've, we've spent whole pods on it, so I don't even think we should today. But there's yeah. just, yeah, there's a lot. You got to finagle, a lot of finessing. But in theory, whether it's Miles Brennan or Max Johnson, you feel pretty good about that quarterback spot. You just got to figure out the depth. The we think today that... Uh, whoever wins that job would be capable of engineering a nine and three season. Exactly. Yeah. We could and be wrong, but that is our view of those two guys. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, and then running back, you know, like they're really deep there. We know that much. We'll see who anyone can break out, but there's depth there. Receiver, really talented. You got a clear star. Don't know who the two, three guys really will end up being. But again, like I talked to, you know, one coach off the record, uh, or not, obviously a few weeks ago, and he was like, you know, I was trying to pick his brain for a story I wrote about that you inspired, by the way. Who is the number? Like, who will be the number two playmaker? And, you know, who won- and the coach flat out said, here's the thing it could be any one, two through nine. Like, they actually, and there's a, like, you know, and it's worth saying because I think you talk about depth and that can go both ways, right? Running back, I, I feel confident saying, yeah, they got depth, but I still don't feel confident yet in any one of them yeah. breaking out. They've lost that benefit of the doubt. Receiver, I actually believe on people I've talked to, like it's a positive. It's like, oh, you actually, they believe Trey Palmer could be the guy, but he also could be the sixth guy, or Devontae Lee could be the guy. He could be a nobody, or you know, one of the freshmen could break out, or it could just be Dre Jenkins. Like they actually feel good two through nine. So anyway, receiver, you feel great about. Tight end, pretty dull about. I think that's yeah. like I would I think it's like the closest thing there yeah. is to like a a a, a, a below average position, right? Yeah, no, I mean, without a doubt. And and it's just wild, again, in terms of uh, things flipping and going inverse is that you literally recruited and signed the highest-rated tight end in recruiting history, and yet a year later, because of all that toxicity and various other reasons, it doesn't matter the reasons, right? But just a year later, uh, that guy's gone. And he's not just gone, but you don't really have any great options in his place. Now, you know, the... The, uh, the the more optimistic will say things like, uh, you know, like Jack Bash and certainly from a body standpoint, athleticism, that's a recruit that uh, you think could be a very good tight end eventually. But I'm, I'm never going to give a position high marks if you're relying on true freshmen. And maybe they do like they could, still could. But I'm, I'm not going to give the true freshman the benefit of the doubt. They're going to come in and play really well from day one until you see it. And then obviously you got like Cole Taylor, who. A bit of a cult hero getting his shoe ripped off against Florida, but the actual play, while there's elements I like, I can't sit here and say, like, man, that's a really good position. So, no, tight end, a definite uh, dull position right now. Um, interestingly, though, in this offense, maybe not the most required position yeah. uh, to be good, right? They're, they 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 already, like, 
A tight end will ideally play in this offense if they justify it by just being one of the best five playmakers on the field. No, I think that's a that's the key. That's why like I almost felt myself as I went through that position yada yadaing it. It's but it's because you kind of can yada yada just in the sense that everything you just said, Jake Pete's like everything he said about personnel, everything I mean, past coaches have kind of implied about the changes at LSU. They're not going to force a tight out and out there just to do it. So yeah, I, like there's a especially everything we just said about receiver depth. There's a very real chance that. Yeah, they just play four receivers more often or, you know, or, yeah. or whatever. And and also they have a lot of receivers that are pretty huge dudes. And I think Besh is the ultimate example of like, you know, they might just some of these receivers might operate as tight ends in a way anyway. I mean, Stefan Sullivan is a great example. Like he technically went back and forth between receiver and tight end all the time, but he was just the skill player. Like it wasn't, you know, they just moved him around. And I think that's going to I think Besh, which, by the way, I mean, it's, I actually want to throw this out there just while we're on it. Man, it, I got a text like a two weeks ago when I was doing doing that playmaker piece. And I got a text from like a guy who's you know been pretty good to me overall. And he said, it's like you're not gonna believe who else you actually believes can be their number two. And I'm like, oh what? Like, you know, you know, Chris Hilton? And he's like, Jack, Jack Besh. Jack Wait, Be- number number two tight end or number two? Number two like target. Whoa. And I'm I am not like gonna go out here and write that. I'm not gonna predict that. But it was just a very like strong statement that they like they love him and that I don't want to like I am not this is not my opinion. I'm not overhyping it. But that was like just a thing to keep on our radar of like all right maybe you know like so anyway that's that's an aside from what we're talking about. It's just a. Want to throw that out there for listeners? No, but there's there there's a little bit of uh, juice to his name. Now sometimes juice bears out, right? And sometimes it doesn't. Like there was a lot of juice to Jordan Toll's name as a true freshman before last year, and you just it's never quite uh, saw it in the fall. So we'll 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 see where that ends up going. I know they love like the size to athleticism mixture, obviously. Um, okay, so did we? Oh, we haven't covered all the offensive positions. How do you feel about offensive line? I'm glad you sent it to me first, just because I I will concede. I think a month ago I was pretty down on it. I just I didn't love what I saw in the spring game. I think I had a harsher view of last season than you did, and how like I know they had some great games, but I felt like there were a lot of games where they limited them, all that. And I think you convinced me a lot in that post spring game episode. Uh, some other people in the program have kind of convinced me otherwise that. There's more people that think actually like this could be a strength of this team and that it's a really good O line and you know your your Rosenthal's and whatnot and and even if Anthony Bradford rises up all that that it's actually going to be a pretty you know positive area. Is it gonna, I don't think it's going to be an elite one or anything. I don't think it's going to be you know, 2020 Bama or some shit. But I I, I do think I, I'm a little more positive than I was a month ago and I'll give you. Well, it is. It is. It is kind of. Maybe you're just catching me on a weird day then, because I Ooh, I'm feeling. It. Well, it's like I said earlier, right? I think about potential pitfalls. While, okay, my, my reaction to the spring game was more that a lot of people's reaction was the O-line was horrible, and my reaction was simply, like, no, the one O-line was actually really good. Not that it matters, because everything's just base anyway. Like, like you're never yeah. going to learn anything from the spring game anyway, but but my reaction was just that the twos were horrible, right? The twos and threes were horrible, Correct. but the O-line was good, and I think that Anthony Bradford could actually be a starting caliber player, which solves a bit of the depth issue. That's not really addressing like what is the top level talent of this O line, and that still remains a problem. Like Liam, or potential problem. Like Liam Shanahan is your starting center, and obviously I love Liam from a leadership standpoint. I think that in terms of making the calls, he is uh, you know near flawless. Um, but it, there are times if it comes to like. Okay, you have to be a, a you have to push this guy backwards, right? He is not the most 
just dominant kind of blocker um, in the run game yeah. or the pass game. And, and and a lot could be said for a lot of this starting O-line. Like, when you think about guys that project high on the NFL level, I mean, if you play for a big school like LSU, you'll get a shot. There's a chance you'll get a shot somewhere, right? But in terms of guys that really project high on the next level, I mean, Ed Ingram's the only one. Maybe Dare Rosedale. Dare Rosedale's interesting because he really did impress me during spring. He moves better and better. We'll see where he ends up going. But, like, you know, I feel like Deculus is a pretty known quantity at this time. Right guard still remains kind of just an overall weakness. So I think the experience getting all these guys back is huge because the the depth is you know the second line is so bad and so you needed every single body back that you could get but like you said i do think it's still just like a middle of the pack sec line i'd love to be proven wrong but but that's where i'm at no i i think i think is it safe to say i think our view is like i hate putting firm grades on things but we view it as like a B minus right now, right? Yeah, with, you just with, need that O line just needs to do enough to allow you to take advantage of the playmakers. Yeah. You don't have and, to be dominant. You just can't be like you were against Auburn or Texas A and M, where you were a net drain on everything and you like actively like TJ Finley did not stand a chance those games uh because of how the O line played. And by the way, just to throw a random like thought out there, I think there's Let's say hypothetically it's Max Johnson and they know it's Max Johnson. They can scheme around that. I don't know if that's the case, but if it is, I think I think there's almost something that could be interesting that if you actually for the first time in a while LSU was operating with like a legitimate dual threat guy as the quarterback, how different that makes the O-line look and like how different that makes the scheme look. And like I just wonder if that would bring more out of the O-line. You know, if it's, it's like a double-edged a, sword though. It's a double-edged sword though, because sometimes okay. those guys hold on to the ball longer. Sometimes they run into sacks. Like, great point. It can. If look, you know what I want as an lineman? Just get rid of the ball. Now, if you're a badass Coward. runner and you can do it, you just want less responsibility. That's yeah, yes. Obviously, duh, dude. Why do you think yeah. people love playing for like Drew Brees and shit? Yeah. <laughs> like any of these elite, like like you know any of the elite pocket passers in the NFL? Uh, it's it's because they just make you look good. Like, who doesn't love someone who makes your job significantly easier? Because especially if you're in the league, then you get paid. Because you're like, oh, man, look, this line doesn't give up any sacks. It needs to center. So, no, I mean, absolutely. Selfishly, I want a guy who's going to get rid of the ball. Now, if you can consistently scoot and you can uh, make the right decisions, like the paragons of this would be like a Russell Wilson is probably just the – smartest decision making in terms of like when to run when to throw how to extend he, he's unbelievable at it obviously pat mahomes is just in a tier of his own when it comes to quarterback play but yeah there 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 are guys that could change my mind but uh yeah first and foremost i just don't want a guy who's going to hold on to the ball for three seconds because that's how sacks get made Fair. um all right so that's our offensive thoughts i think i think it's fair to say our general vibe on the offense is tons and tons of generally speaking depth and talent and like stability it's just like what's the upside well, what's the breakout going to be how about this before we move on uh we got to talk about the coordinator what, what yeah. do you what do you think about pete again like i said the the tj finley quotes were some of the best that i read on them from your article because that was not um pete's telling us what he wants to do that was almost like third-party validation that he followed through on what he told us was his main goal when he got here, which was players first, scheme later. Like, to establish trust and relationships off the bat. Yeah, and there's those stories of, like, Miles telling us that, like, 
Pete's calls him like m- like multiple times a day and like he'll be going to Mississippi and I'll be getting a call from Jake Pete's and stuff like that. There really does seem like at least that part about him is valid. And I even think so far, you know, from a again, I hate like the the overly simplistic. Uh, oh, they're getting back to what they did. Like, I hate thinking like that. But you've heard like four players, I think, on the record say like, you know, we got away from some of the stuff we did in 2019 getting back this year, you know, and stuff like that. So I think yeah. just in like a simple I'm not even saying he's going to go out there and be like, no, but like, like genius, something like but, the summer of 10,000 catches. Yeah. Right. They didn't do that. And it led to great results when they did. They didn't do it last year. Now that is back. Yeah. So like not not even just scheme wise, but from a um, from a uh, structure standpoint, I feel like that's what they may be even more talking to, like how they practice, how much two men are you doing, how much red zone are you doing, like even outside of the plays themselves. When I hear people talking about how that 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 Brady type of atmosphere is back, that's what I'm more thinking of. No, it's true, and I also yeah, you, I I almost don't want to. Leave out DJ Mangus too, because I think he's a really bright yes. young dude. I mean, I think he's a really, really smart guy. And, you know, I talked to one or two coaches who were like, don't underestimate how important it is having him back. He's a guy who knows both knows what we do and both knows kind of what we need to learn, you know. And I think, I think there's a lot of people who are high on him. But yeah, I am pretty high on Pete's, mainly just because I don't think, you know, it's a, it's not, and we, we've been over this a bunch, right? But it's not, like some young guy who hasn't called an offense and it's like a risk. It's like, this is a guy who has been an NFL and college position coach for over a decade. Like he's, he's young, but really experienced. Yeah. So I don't, yeah, I, I, I understand that he hasn't called plays, but I just, I feel like the, we, we, you and I are, our repeated line on him is I feel like the floor is high. You know, I, I, I don't think we'll be, be shocked a, a if he was like, like a that. horror. And partly because of those personal relationships. Yeah, I, I would just be shocked if he was a bad in-game coach or like couldn't call. Play. Like you just, I, I don't know, I don't know. I, I, I would find that hard to, uh, hard to believe. Plus, I honestly don't always know if that's the hardest parts of coaching. I mean, I think there are definite masterful in-game tacticians, uh, but just as important a lot of times is how are you communicating responsibility to your players? Um, and and that's something that definitely defensively they did not have last year. We'll see if these guys can get it done. Sorry, Brent. I didn't mean to cut you off. Anything else on Pete's? No, I no, I was done. No, it's perfect. All right, perfect. So um, now uh, we go to the defense yes. where I think there's okay, let's let's just go position by position pretty much. Defensive line, I don't even want to talk about too much because it's just simple. They are literally eight, nine deep of guys you would be extremely content starting. It's a weird mix of like super upside guys who already proven they're pretty good and just really stable guys who might not have an upside, but like Glenn Logan or guys like that, Andre Anthony are have are one hundred percent proven. They're at least SEC starters. Neil, you Neil, know, Farrell, so Neil Farrell's in that. Uh, in that yeah, I think well. Farrell even has more upside too. Oh, so okay, it's like okay. It's, no, I, no, I'm still agreeing with you, but I think that's what makes this D line so scary is that it's this healthy mix of youth and upside, experience and stability, constant rotation, like nine, ten deep. So I think yeah, I don't even want to talk about it too much, but whatever you have to say, but, I'm, but, I'm but all it ears, is the but. state of the program. So so let's lean into a little bit because you know, as much as we do highlight the weaknesses, we I, I want to highlight some of the strengths as well. And and I do I do like you mentioning the different backgrounds because I even think about a guy like Sony Fanua, who we'll see what his eventual role is come fall time. But that's a guy that is uh, what was it? Was he a JUCO transfer? Yes. Yeah. Uh, JUCO transfer, really no level of expectation put on him. And then all of a sudden he has a really good spring and not just a spring game, though he played really well there 
Uh, but no, like Coach O going out his way, be like, hey, man, you look, Sony Fanua is like out there earning playing time. So you have guys from all different backgrounds. You have a ton of them. You have talent on the interior. You have a lot of talent on the exterior. I mean, you got B.J. Ojolari year two, who I expect to be a very good pass rusher. Ali Gay, who could already rush the passer, and I expect that to be better now combined with, you know, he learned to play run defense last year and got pretty damn good at it yeah. by the end of the year. And, and as you said, then you got the young guns. You got your big, your, your, you know, the the guy that you hope is going to be a phenom and Mason Smith that has all the hype, the big man from the bayou. Uh, a guy like Jaqueline Roy, who, who, um, and I saw that from uh, Julie Boudouin, who actually did a great uh, documentary series, I think, yeah, called Big Man on the Body, right? Shout out, Julie. Um, go follow her work at Tiger Details. But, um, but, and, and, and then you have like a Jaqueline Roy, who was, you know, himself a really big recruit that we watched his growth through the year. So, no, if this team is going to do what we said, and go nine and three, and you know potentially be that second team in the West, New Year's Six Bowl. The D line will be a uh, a key factor in why. It almost reminds me of. Sorry, don't want to alienate our audience too much, but it almost reminds me of like you know like in European soccer a little bit, where it's like you have like your youth system and your infrastructure of like you know like hey, I'm still going to start that 30 year old right wing who's just really good, but like. God, that 21-year-old is really good. So, like, there's no pressure on that 21-year-old. But he is going to get some cup starts. You know, he's going to get some yeah. some smaller game starts. He's going to rotate in in the 60th minute because, like, he's so good and his flashes might be higher, but he might not be, like, a three-down guy yet. And that's a really healthy place to be. It kind of – it's almost like where they're at a quarterback right now and things like that. So, and yeah, I like think the, that's the fun part. And, like, the rule on D-line is – I mean, I guess if you have, like, a J.J. Watt type, this changes, or, you know, an Aaron Donald. But it's like – if you got nine guys, you play nine guys. Like keep everybody fresh. It only behooves you if there's not if you literally believe there's like not significant drop offs between guys, then you rotate, you keep guys fresh, and you take away what is one of the age old advantages of offensive line play, which is that eventually just because from an energy requirement standpoint, O-line requires less than D-line, like eventually you will wear them out. If you're nine deep, you can't wear them out. And that becomes a huge uh, value piece um, when, when you're talking about how these games could play out over fourth quarters. I agree completely. And then you go to linebacker, and I think linebacker and safety, I almost want to pair together right now because they're two positions that were the glaring holes, say, in, I don't know, February or January. And just don't feel like that to me at all anymore where uh i mean still there's still uncertainty they're still like haven't seen 90 percent of these guys play on a football field so yeah of course there are questions but you know you go from being like oh god is it just gonna be you know damone clark and baskerville again and like hoping one of the young guys goes to Navante q strong seems like a starter from juco mike jones jr is expected in reality to be a starter level player he was a starter at clemson on a playoff team you know i think he's a really interesting piece that can be like your jabril cox replacement and and then you have clark is making big leaps this spring and like he's the first guy everyone names and they talk about defensive like improvement basketball is gonna be back and he was your most steady guy and now he's like your fifth guy if you're like looking at it realistically white's getting better jared small is gonna play yeah, you know they, whether that's like, what they said they love they yeah, love small. yeah so the idea that again i don't know how high the upside is i don't know all about that but you went from like huge red flag depth wise to six deep and i think i think that's been a real theme in what we're talking about today is that's just at least stable now you know and i don't know who's gonna be the guy but it's pretty stable yeah and and at first i think i was kind of like i want 
I yes, I, I think what you how, how you ended is perfect there. Where this is not to say it's a strength of the team; it's still a relative weakness, but it is not the gaping maw that it was before. But I still need to see more. I mean, coming out of just the spring game, which we overanalyze, um, linebacker play was without a doubt the most concerning. I mean, I just got to see it out. We of didn't get to Clark. see. And we didn't get to see strong. Assume yes. top four. Yes, you know? it's exactly. Just weird. Exactly. And so that discolors everything. I just need to see it out of, and I don't. I just need to see it out of Demo Clark. We keep hearing about it. It was yeah. the same story last off season. Obviously, that did not translate to game day. Um, maybe this off season will be different. So linebacker, I think, probably remains the biggest question mark on the team, along with running back. Um, and yeah. how funny because those two positions in a lot of way mirror one another. Uh, some of the other ones, safety, because we have a relevant piece of news, Brody. Yeah, sure. As, yeah, I think- um, the, 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 so at safety, LSU gets a transfer from Georgia, um, a homecoming, if you will. Major Burns, who played at Madison Prep uh, from Louisiana, he ends up going to UGA, um, stays there one year. I think he played in like three games, had like five tackles or something along those lines. Well, he has now decided to come home, uh, leaving Athens, coming back to Baton Rouge. And all of a sudden, you have a safety group, Brody, and, I, and I'll let you kind of explain how this has all gone down, but they've done a very interesting job of using a lot of different resources to juice up a safety group that looked uh, depleted by the end of last season. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it pretty well. Just the idea that, and I think Jay Ward's just growth and evolution, I think, changed the just tone of everything. Because if it wasn't for Jay Ward, you I mean, first off, yeah, like you said, they restocked it. That is, it was a clear focus about a year ago that that was going to be a huge need that, okay, you signed two top, the two of the top safeties in the entire country and Davis and Sage Ryan, like that check and Matthew Langlois, uh, they're pretty high on. And, you know, you, you add, now you had major burns and all of a sudden, and I think, uh, and then Jordan Tolles was a signee last year. So it's like, suddenly you were at, you've added five safety Warriors eligibility going forward. So just stability-wise, that's a huge win. But even if, if Jay Ward didn't evolve and become what he did, it would still be kind of like a weird, kind of like linebacker, actually. Like, yeah, but I don't know for sure about any of those. Am I really going to be that confident about a true freshman? Is Todd Harris really, as he has gained any stability, or I should say trust? You know, like, it would have been just that, yeah, they're deep, but who's the guy? A lot like running back, a lot like linebacker. Having Jay Ward break out like he just did, I think, uh, I think changes it quite a bit because suddenly it's it's different. You know, well, suddenly it's, 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 it goes you have from a guy. I think I think it goes from being a position like running back where uh, it's like okay, they did enough to at least like make it not a a huge red flag. I don't know if it's gonna be good, but they did enough to make it not a huge red flag. Now with Jay Ward switching over, and now with the major Burns news, even like safety has potential i i don't know to be a strength or like relative to other positions but like i i don't feel bad about it at all there's just too many guys and from all different types like you have two five-star freshmen coming in um major burns is a former big recruit who now has like a little sec seasoning to him right should be a more field ready product uh maybe than even the freshman todd harris is the guy who's been there for like 17 years um, and then you made Jay Ward. So I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I actually feel pretty good about, about the position overall. And to me, it's, it, it's a great commentary on like roster management 
And and if you look at LSU and how they've handled things like the transfer portal, and I guess Major Burns now adds to that list, they have been very effective at finding answers through the portal uh, at positions of need. Yeah, and I don't even think Burns would be like, I don't expect ask to do anything much this year you know what i mean like he's still like a second year guy who like probably needs some development i don't know if what the assumption is there i genuinely don't but and i think the thing we're really trying to is it basically went from being run receiver in a way right because receiver and it's very you know you have one dude now obviously it's more established than jay ward but you know you know you have one guy and all of a sudden you're going um it's only two positions, right? It's only two guys. So exactly, going, you have so you have many Jay, bodies now. Burns in and the others. Yeah, they and Ward. And it's just this idea of being like, okay, if Jay was to handle it, it looks like he's going to be like. I think I'm my weird. I'll say I think he's going to be all SEC. Like I think Jay Ward's going to be a real dude. And if you have fifty percent of it handled, then you can experiment more with that second guy. Then you can have a little more freedom to be risky with the other side. I think that's the con- contextual way to view it. Is like. Maybe you feel better about letting Sage Ryan win that spot because you don't you're not like desperate for just like doing the, the, the stability and doing the right thing or or maybe it's not Harrison. By the way, I think that'd be fine too. But I think that's the big thing is like you just have more freedom to go upside if you have one established. If both are unestablished, it's just you have to be a little more careful, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, well said and all counts. So I okay. So we've covered linebacker, D line, safety. Now, uh, let's move to what is the overall strength of the team, right? I mean, yeah. gotta be just because of the just the elite, elite talent in terms of who starts, and that is at cornerback. And you have Derek Stingley Jr. on one side and Eli Ricks on the other as your starting cornerbacks. I mean, that is by definition the best cornerback duo in the country, and I don't think there's there might be one that like ends up playing better, of course, but just in terms of what we know now, there's nothing close. I mean, I'm pretty sure like PFF, for example, they're like the number one in three returners in the country. Uh, even more than that, you have two All-Americans, which I don't think any other cornerback duo can come close to that. Like just simply, there's really not even much precedent for like having just that. Uh, okay, so you, up you, a- you mentioned PFF. Um, uh, so on February 23rd this year, uh, Anthony Trish, PFF writer, did an article ranking the top 10 returning college defensive backs. So defensive backs, not just quarterbacks, defensive backs, top 10, number one on the list, Derek Stingley Jr. Then you get to Ahmad Gardner out of Cincinnati at number two, and then Eli Ricks at three. So you were talking about, and and PFF and people that, and I'm not saying they're the end-all be-all, but they watch a lot of film, right? Like it's a great kind of reference or maybe just give you an idea of what we're talking about here. Two of the top three returning defensive backs in all of college football are going to be playing corner on either side for LSU. Ask any football coach. That is a dream come true. Like, Durante Jones could not have dreamed of a better secondary. To, I don't care what's going on at safety almost because of how dominant that potential cornerback combination is. Absolutely. Also, I have to make – it's really funny that you bring up Anthony Trish today of all days because, you know, he's under a lot of fire today. Uh, no, <laughs> literally, as we record this, he, I guess, like in a piece today, he wrote something that basically said Tyreek Hill might be the greatest deep ball threat in like NFL history. And he's just getting dunked on all day because everyone's being like, Randy Moss, what are you talking about? So just really funny that I, I probably 
I have not heard his name many times said, and all of a sudden this he comes up <laughs> twice in a day like this. But well, it says he's a college football analyst on his bio. So okay, you know, you know the NFL maybe maybe not so much. It <laughs> literally says the sun, man. It literally I'm says. I'm just kidding. I, I'm not going to criticize. This him. is his bio. He primarily works as a college football analyst, but still dabbles in the NFL. And <laughs> now you're saying that that's a dabble if I've ever seen one. That's a dabble. <laughs> Um, anyway, sorry. I, I just thought that was funny. Uh, yeah, no. And then real flawed is of course, I mean, I think he had a pretty down year last year, but still a, a, an experienced two year kind of high, like semi starter. So that's a great third guy. Dwight McLaughlin, as we've been over, like was like one of the breakout stars of spring and he's your backup. And even like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to talk out of my ass too much, but I think corner and safety, especially nickel and safety, are kind of interchangeable with how at least LSU's run their defense the last five years, right? So a major Burns is a guy who I don't think is pinpointed one or the other, you know, or or even a Jay Ward, of course. I think he can move around, you know. So it's like I don't want to overthink that too much, you know. I think I think overall, yeah. just between those two groups, you were in really really good shape. Well, and and the reason why I feel so confident about it is honestly, though, because of Durante Jones. Because again, I I, I don't know what um again with, with same thing as Pete's like a guy with a ton of experience, uh, just doesn't actually have that coordinator experience. But what he does have is being um a longtime secondaries coach at the highest level of football. So if nothing else. He's going to have this secondary right for this fall. No, I, I agree. And uh, I think that's a, I'm trying to think of how to phrase Yeah, I think you hit it pretty well that I have less just like built in confidence in Jones that I have in Pete's just from experience, exposure to certain things, you know, all that. But at the same time, I feel pretty confident he's going to have that secondary room, which is exactly what you're saying. And yeah, I think he's going to, I think I just keep going back to so many of the issues in 2020. Mm-hmm were genuinely Polini's scheme or whether it be Polini so or the coach or, or whoever. Just that just secondary. Like, yeah. What's what's up? No, I was saying not, not even just scheme, just like general coaching shit, like communication, yeah. just like and it, having a relationship with your players. Like really, Polini, uh, unfortunately, I know, I know he's probably, may, maybe he's getting too much blame. I don't know. To me, though, it, it seems pretty accurate. He, he just... He failed in a lot of different areas last year. It just wasn't one. Like... Like, uh, yeah, yeah. And if you take that, the point, I think our general point is if you take that safety group from like four to five, just blatant breakdowns a game to just stable with all the talent they have, like from a baseline level. Yeah. You go from being like, I don't know, the 12th, 13th or 14th defense in the SEC to like by default, like five or six. Right. Like, I don't think that's that crazy to say. So, yeah, I think I think that's a, a I'm not going to grade the higher anything like that, but from that perspective, that's a positive at least. So all of a sudden you have the, and go now go big picture on this defense again. You have just like some built in just huge pluses that you can build around in having those two corners just locked down the outside. And by the way, the, the outside was locked down for LSU pretty much all year. All the damage was done in the middle, but on the nickels and yeah. the safety. So outside's just safe. D line, you would assume if run correctly, is just going to you be in an advantage most of the time and control that line. And that just allows a defensive coach, at least a good one to have so much more freedom in his scheming and his play calling to be like, all right, I can just scheme around those strengths and then figure out linebacker and safety and whatnot as we go. Yeah. What's the Andy Reed thing. He says like, he wants like, what, like uh, an elite, like if you give him like a really good pass rusher, a really good cornerback 
And I think it's a great quarterback. Like he says that he can figure everything else out. Well, love that. I think they'll have good quarterback play. Obviously, they got two great cornerbacks. And maybe the pass rush becomes interesting because, like, again, I think D line's going to be huge strength. I think Ojalari is really exciting in that regard. So is Ali Gay. Uh, but they will have to, I, I, you, we can't put an elite tag on any of the pass rushers yet. They're going to have to earn that. True. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, even off what we know, I mean, sorry about the barking. Ah, who cares? You're good, uh, dude. We love the pups. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, we're 50 minutes in. They know us now, man. We're just yeah, exactly. Um But yeah, I think, I mean, even Andre Anthony, Ollie Gay, and BJ Ojolari, they were all hot. I'm not, I'm not going to say elite, but in terms of like pass rush grades, pressure grades, all those things, they were already in the higher percentiles last year. And I think they're going to get much better. So yeah, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism with this defense. And it always go, I think defense more now than literally ever is more scheme and like really having to be sharp than it ever was because you just have to keep up with modern offenses. So like I'm going to reserve some judgment until I see that part of it, the scheme parts of it and the, the ability to keep up with the offenses. But from a just, if you're just going off talent, yeah, this is as good of a defense as this is what you would assume. This is a talent wise top four defense in the sec, right? I am an unabashed Durante Jones fanboy. And talking to that man, how he communicates things, his past, how he's grinded his way up, his experience in the NFL, just kind of interacting with him, his composure, which I am a fan of. Uh, I latch on to people and I can get fooled. Like you can convince me that you're going to be incredible at your job, but just how you interact and how you speak, right? Like I'm like that with David Griffin of the Pelicans. And I don't know the David Griffin era hasn't really been good yet. Might still be good, but we'll see. But I am, yes, I actually would say that I have even more belief in Jones than Pete's because that's how much of an unabashed fanboy I am for Durante Jones. I like it. And you know what? It's the smarter sports radio guy pivot because yeah. you can you can claim stock in, or ownership of jo- Durante Island and you're going to be not alone, but, you know, it's a, it's more of a niche that you can, you well, can own. So and you mentioned big, stock. Move. You mentioned stock. Buy low, right? Always by Pelini yeah. drove down the value massively on LSU's defense. Like, like the offense wasn't actually that bad last year. They were still pretty good. So now no. you have to be you they, these new coaches have to be like significantly better than that. You just got to be better than last year's defense, which is literally like the worst defense of all time. Dorante Jones has nowhere to go but up. Let's go. Especially as a young coach. So it's like if you make any improvement, it's a win. And you're a young coach. So it's like, ah, clear, clear progress for the young guy. Yeah. You know, he's growing into it. It's a it's a borderline lose-lose. Unless he's selling out his work. Look, dude, I know crypto's crashing right now. Why don't you all panic sell? Everybody sell and buy Durante Jones stock. The time is now. We're talking 5X, 10X on your investment, guaranteed. <laughs> By the way, uh, well played. Uh yeah, just because we're going to get to like, you know, for one of the pieces in the state of the program, as you guys hopefully will read, is there's a, you know, basically we were asked to talk to, you know, a few anonymous coaches of different schools and kind of what they think of LSU off the record or anonymously, I should say. And the the SEC assistant coach I talked to said he called, well, he called the new, de- new defensive coordinator, quote, a nondescript secondary coach from the Minnesota Vikings, quote, who is this guy? Yeah. So Hell there's yes, not, I don't know dude. if there's a lot of optimism Hell around coaching yes. circles, but it's. It just means that, like, I just don't think he's known. I don't think that necessarily means you know he's me, good or bad. I'm a hiring nihilist. I've talked about this a lot on this program. That's that kind of bullshit I'm talking about. It, I, I don't believe that we know the best people to hire. I think we just fall back on kind of lazy metrics, that. lazy tests, people we know, whatever. 
So I love that Durante Jones is coming out. He has this kind of shadow player entering the market. Um, okay, let's. Don't look. you hire Nihilist as my make that your Twitter bio? Or I'll I can't. Make it I can't. That's I can't. My I new can't, favorite can't, line ever. I can't wait. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! I cannot claim that though. Um, that is my uh, that uh, Malcolm Gladwell, who I love, has um, in, in multiple revisionist histories. He kind of plays with this concept, and then he has one episode kind of dedicated to it. So that is where I got it. I just completely believe it. Um, after kind of listening and talking and thinking about it, and just like my own firsthand experience, right? Um, okay, so uh, let's get to that portion then. You talked anonymously to some SEC coaches. Um, obviously, it being a good journalist, you cannot give us their names. Uh, but what did they have to say? Because we just spent a long time, be very bullish, about an hour, be very bullish in LSU. What do the, some of their peers have to say? Yeah, and, and again... <laughs> Not that I need to do this, but this is the caveat of like, this is just what they're saying. This is not what we're saying. But uh, yeah, I think it was kind of, so, you know, a lot of what we talked to him about was just kind of like how you view LSU right now, where they are considering championship and huge step back, all that. And this one coach, uh, SEC East assistant said, there's complete turnover on both the offensive and defensive staff, complete turnover. Is Ed going to be? Is Ed going to get too involved? Because Ed knows just enough to be dangerous. I really don't think he knows a whole lot about offensive football, but he knows enough to be dangerous, and he can get too involved. And I don't think that's like an original thought or anything like that. And I, probably, if anything, almost more of like a, a potentially an ignorant thought. But that's a it's a juicy one to hear. That's what like SEC coaches are saying, just like because he does have a history of that, of course. Yeah. Um. I mean, that would be. Yeah, we'll see. Well, we will we'll have to see that play out. It's funny because that's what we gave him so much credit for two years ago, right? Was like kind of going hands off, but it's easy to be hands off when things are going great. Um, how much trust do you actually have in those coaches? We'll see. So, what were some of the other comments uh, in terms of how they view this team? Yeah, uh, asked about generally just like the pressure on Ogeron. He said, no doubt. I think he absolutely feels the pressure because you can't be the head coach at LSU and not feel the pressure. He won a national championship and then he came back and had a rough year. I think this is an amazingly challenging year for him. So, again, nothing that juicy. But uh, then another, uh, we asked about the quarterback competition and he was really high on Max Johnson. He said, I liked Max Johnson. We think he might be in the lead. Uh, he should be. I think the kid's a freaking stud. I think he's really good. So uh, I think there's a lot of insinuation just from, you know, the two coaches we talked to that, like, they think Max Johnson's better. Uh, Are you getting which, that vibe from LSU? I'm kind of getting that vibe right now. I, I know that I've said in the past, I think that Miles Burner will win the job, but, and I do think it's a legitimate competition. It's, it's nothing like it's just over, but I, exactly, yeah. but, but I do think that if, if you were to like, okay, you just have to choose, you can't give me bullshit answer. I think if you ask the coaches today that they would say they expect Max to win the job. Yeah. I mean, that has been a pretty consistent word out of LSU camp for, I'd say about a month now. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's true. I think it's been pretty steady. There are some people who flat out said that, yeah, they think it's Johnson's like it's, they think it's his and the rest is just kind of finessing things and we'll see what happens there. I'm not saying I think that necessarily. I think like, I think you put it well, it's still a competition. It's not over, but a lot of people think it's Johnson, but I think what makes that even scarier is though, like, okay, we're all hearing that that buzz is getting around to us. Do you not think that buzz is getting to the Brennans? They're hearing it more than we like. Yeah, if we're no, hearing definitely. that, they're hearing that. And I'm not predicting anything, but like, don't think that doesn't matter. So now it's like, 
do you have to worry about Miles and his camp wondering if they should leave earlier? Because it's not like you want to wait until it's not like you'd want it if if you could draw it up, you don't want to transfer like two weeks before a game starts. So like No, it's like we just, said that if, if you're transferring you two weeks worry. before a game starts, you're not transferring to play, you're transferring because you're pissed off and you're like, I'm done with it. Yeah. Um, because you're not gonna go two weeks before a season and play anywhere else. Uh but yeah, I mean I think you could react like that. I think that sort of reaction would be a major red flag. Um, I think you have to adopt but, hey, the hey, like, yeah, fuck him. Doubt, man. Like, fuck him. I'm going to go wrong. That is literally what Joe Burrow did. He's in a quarterback competition. No, no starters been named, but he read the tea leaves, saw the writing on the wall, and said, uh, in in May or June. Yeah, I think it was literally May, and said, I'm going to go. You know, just like bet on myself. Was right it now. as that legitimate? Is, of a no was it a legitimate? Well, the timing is a huge difference. We talked about that last. It's May. Timing is a, is a is a yeah, but the the whispers aren't loud enough to leave. It's not that. It's not that. Um, you, you're right. It's May right now. I don't really feel like that's on the table right now. Uh I I, I would say the difference is you don't feel like Dwayne Haskins was more clearly the starter than Joe Burrow. No, that's the whole thing. Are you, yeah, I mean, that was like the whole thing. It was like genuinely neck and neck. And like it was kind of similar where it was genuinely neck and neck. But then just like the writing on the wall was kind of in like the subtle buzz was that it was probably going to be Haskins, but it was by no means done. And that was kind of like Joe leaving was in some ways a surprise. I think that was, I mean, how I remember it being told to me by everyone in the borough camp and like everyone at Ohio State. But I could be remembering that wrong. But I actually think it's not that different from this in a lot of ways, like, you know, from the point of like wanting the guy, the younger guy with more upside, like in a ton of ways. So I think it's it's interesting. But, yeah, I'm not predicting Miles Brennan's leaving anything sooner or anything like that. I just think you do have I think that's just worth mentioning that if we're hearing it, they're hearing it. And if they're hearing it, it would be in their best interest to leave sooner than later. And I'm not like advocating for that. It's just like, well, but how much? OK, so well, while I'm hearing that. That makes it sound like it's too much of a closed door to me. It, like I said, I still feel like it's a competition. If it's retreating, it's time to transfer time, then it's not a competition. It's like Dwayne Haskins played the year before at Ohio State when Joe Burrow didn't. Like he played after JT Barrett, so he already had playing experience. And you could say it was a competition. I felt like by the end of spring, they it, 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 it doesn't matter. Just as far as LSU goes, I view it too close where to be like a transfer now would be uh, very drastic. I, I don't think there's that much of a difference. I just think that if push came to shove and you had to choose who they think would expect to win the job, they would just think that in the end that Johnson will win out on that competition. We'll see that. Yeah, that's why as a player, that's, that's as a well. player, you got to say you got to say fuck it and you got to go like trust in yourself and say like okay, I'm gonna, I mean I'm just going to win the job. And if you don't, you don't. You have nothing to hang your head about, but you tried. No, I I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and then that's generally the main gist of kind of what I've gotten from, you know, the, those were the main talking points of what we got from the coach. I think there was another coach we talked to who kind of talked about how LSU is kind of a weird program. Let me pull it up right now. Sorry. He said, it's sort of boomer bust. The team that won the national championship had a great quarterback, a lot of upperclassmen and some super talented skill guys on both sides of the ball. That can happen every so often where you have so much talent you can win because your guys are better. But we always talk about how there's a bunch of freaks. Basically, like his gist was just kind of LSU might be a school that like, and he talked about this more about like he doesn't know about their development side, and which I thought was a weird. I don't agree with, but his point was kind of Alabama and Georgia say are pretty year to year consistent, and in his criticism was LSU is a little boomer busty. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, LSU, I mean, you can't argue that with the results, right? I think that becomes more interesting if they do go to a New Year's Six Bowl this year because that's three out of four years, and that, and then you do transit. That's why, like, look, everything about this year is about proving uh, – Joe Burrow casts a long shadow. And everything is about proving that you can have that success and that you can exist outside of just Joe Burrow, the thing that Gene Chizik failed to do at Auburn. So uh, I get all these opinions. Like, objectively, I completely understand uh, where they're coming from. And if you just look at LSU actually actually transcending coaches in multiple different areas, LSU has a very interesting boom-bust cycle. I don't know if they're just like, it's like Louisiana is so obsessed with oil that this is just how it works. But, like, <laughs> it, every four years, I mean, look, 03, you won a national championship. 07, you won a national championship. 11, you played for a national championship. The interim in all of those times were like three years of climbing. You'd yep. win a natty, fall off significantly, climb back up, fall off, climb back up. The climb took longer from 11 to 19, but you did it. So, yes, LSU, because of its talent and the in-state talent, because of small population, sometimes it's not there. Sometimes you get these unreal years because it's so great per capita. Uh, absolutely, LSU is very boom-busty. Yeah, so those are the main things we got from them, and I just thought a few of them are interesting, some maybe not so much. But, yeah, I think we've kind of run through like the gist of a lot of it, which I think leaves us at, and we've, we've touched on this a million ways up, you know, but – where do you stand in your confidence level right now? Because it is like, I think our overall theme here is deep, talented, experienced, but still weirdly uncertain. And I think that's what makes it so weird is that you still don't know who the quarterback is. You still have a lot of positions where you're deep, but you don't know who the starter is. And I think that's what just makes this year so weird is that it's almost like it is literally how do you handle the talent? Because there's still so much to figure out. Uh, look, I, I mean, I've I'm, I'm been very consistent, and I see no reason to change it. Uh, I think it's 10-2, and 9-3. and three. Anything yeah. under 9-3 is a huge disappointment. I mean, I would almost even – maybe the question marks do hold me back from going full 10-2. and two. Um, But then again, look, I said 7-3 and three last year, so I was dead wrong there. So, like, um, I'm not saying anybody has to trust or believe me, but I, I do think the problem is – I don't think my misread on this team would come from a lack of objectivity. It's just not following other teams as closely as I follow LSU, right? I think that's where my potential ignorance uh, could could come into play because objectively, I know what makes a good SEC team, and like objectively, this feels uh, like a really good SEC team, at least should be. No, I mean, I agree on all counts. And then there's obviously the schedule part of it, too, which I've said on the show again a million times, but I'll say say the program episode. This schedule is about how you would ever want to drop an, an LSU schedule. Everything kind of cuts right for it, where, yes, Bam is on the road, but I always say that's how you want your schedule because I hate – I know LSU would never want to think like this, but you are always going to be a – not always, but you are going to be a double-digit favorite most likely against them regardless, home or away it's kind of re- better to not have to waste a home game on that. I know it's a defeatist way of thinking, but there's a little bit of truth to it. I'm sorry. And so you're, you you lose, let's assume you have that one loss, but all of your toss-up games are home. And that is the most important year for LSU is always these odd years because it's A&M, Auburn, and Florida are home. Plus, and, and your, your road games are UCLA, Ole Miss, Kentucky, games like that in a vacuum should be pretty you know, decently favored in they should they yeah. should win those games so it's a year where 
And then you add in, yeah, Auburn and Florida, I expect to take a step back or just kind of not be in that mix with the best teams. AM, I think we already talked about it. it, should be a really great game, I think, by the end of the season. But there's a scenario where LSU beats UCLA to open the season on the road. Then you take care of your business in your non-conf games. Then, you know, your first few, you know, are kind of games that you should win realistically. And all of a sudden, it is incredibly possible you go into that Florida Ole Miss Alabama gauntlet 6-0. and Like we said, you're home against Florida and like, I will not leave out the factor that's the SEC. That at least one of these teams we're mentioning is going to take a leap. It'd be better than we think. That's just how it works. Yeah. But you, sh- you should be favored at home against Florida as of now. 7-0. and Ole Miss, man, I think Ole Miss is going to be a tough out. So not I'm not predicting a win. But just again, just a pure binary point of view, you should win that game. You might be you know, going into Bama, which is a fascinating thought. I'm not predicting that because I think there is so much uncertainty that you're probably going to fall in one of those games in the first eight. That's just how it works. But man, that's a long-winded way of saying the schedule just works out really, really well for LSU that by AM, which is by far your second toughest game, you should have things figured out anyway. Yeah. But so should they. Yeah. Yeah. So should they. Cuts with ways. But uh, I agree. So we'll see. This has been the LSU State of the Program pod. Again, uh, that article drops soon on The Athletic. We're recording on Wednesday. No, it now I was going to say it's out. We, oh, we, it's we, out right we, now. Well, uh, we're, we're posting this Thursday. So it is out. Okay, time travel. Okay, so it's out right now. Go check it out, theathletic.com. We don't need roads. Uh, theathletic, uh, slash, theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. Agreed. Sign-up deals. Follow Brody on Twitter at Brody A. Miller. Again, if you don't sign up for The Athletic, it's so awesome, y'all. There's no ads, no bullshit, just really talented writers. And uh, listen off the bench at TBOP53. Brody, anything else to add? No, man. Thanks for doing this. I think this was a goodie. Yes, sir. A good long one for the LG football fans out there. Have a great week, and we'll see you on the next Hold That Podcast podcast.